I don't believe I need very much in the way of introduction for a number of messages, a small number of messages, the Lord willing, on the subject of marriage. We live in a day and a time when marriages are falling apart. The marriage institution is ridiculed. Most don't see much of a need for it. Those that enter into it don't hold it very important or very binding, and many of them, most of them, now over 50% of all marriages contracted in the United States end in divorce. Those are just cold facts about our nation's situation. I don't think to elaborate on those facts will help much this evening. We know the situation of marriages in our nation. We also are faced with the marriages in our church. It's obvious, based on what we had to do last Lord's Day, that somewhere there was a breakdown in a marriage. And if we're all honest, there's breakdowns occurring often in all of our marriages. Maybe not to the same degree where the marriage was rent asunder and where fellowship with the church was lost, but yet there are problems. I want to preach on marriage and remind us of some basic facts about this institution that God created that we might have some marriages that please God in this congregation for the benefit of all of you. The Bible has a lot to say about marriage, and for that reason, a minister who's going to preach the whole counsel of God will preach on the subject of marriage. If you were to look up the word marriage, you wouldn't find very many statements where the apostle would say, and I exhort all of you to work hard to maximize your marriages. <laughs> it's just not put that way. And there's a very wise reason for why it's not put that way. That's because the apostles and the Holy Spirit knew that each marriage partner has a tendency, let's call it a burning passion, to think about the obligations of the other partner rather than themselves. And so when the Bible preaches on marriage, it says, wives, and it gives them their duties. And then it says, husbands, and it gives them their duties. It does not say, you married people, maximize your marriages. That's so vague and opens itself up to wives worrying about their husbands. How your husband treats you is none of your concern. How you treat your husband is your concern. And that's what's going to make for a good marriage. You say, well, what about a husband? Is it any concern how his wife treats him? Yes. He's responsible for her. He is his head. There's a difference there. And the apostle's very clear in the way he exhorts Christians to maximize their marriages. He deals with each partner in the marriage. Why is it important for us to have good marriages? First of all, marriage is a picture of Jesus Christ and his church. We want to maintain marriages that reflect the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in our own lives. Husbands want to love their wives in a way that reflects the love of Christ toward them. Wives want to, should want to submit to their husbands in a way that reflects the submission of the church to Christ. That's a lesson taught in Ephesians chapter 5. A second reason for a good marriage. You will have no open access to God if your marriage 
is not running smoothly, and if it isn't pleasing to him, your prayers will be hindered. That's a lesson from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. A good marital relationship is necessary for a good relationship with God. Third, we, as strange as it may sound in the 20th century, expect our children to wait for marriage. We teach them against fornication outside of marriage. We teach them that they ought to wait, that shacking up, that living with someone is ungodly and ought not to be done, that they ought to wait for marriage. If we are going to teach our children that, we ought to have marriages that they would like to have themselves. If we're exemplifying marriages filled with bitterness, confrontation, animosity, problems, conflict, who blames our young people? Who can blame our young people for going against what their parents have illustrated for them? The third reason for wanting to maximize our marriages for the sake of our children. Fourth, no man and no woman, woman can realize her potential outside of marriage that God expected for them. Any woman who wants to fully realize her potential will realize it in marriage. A woman outside of marriage is a joke. A man who wants to realize his potential, this is in general, will realize his potential in marriage. Behind every great man, there's a great woman. It's in marriage and through the help of a wife that a man will realize his potential. I mean, God said it is not good for the man to be alone. He needs help. Or in other words, he needs and help meet for him. Genesis chapter 2. Both men and women will realize their greatest potential and fulfillment before God in a state of marriage, married to another person. And I assume that all of you want to maximize your personal potential here in this world. Number five, we can reprove our generation's perverse nature and their abuse of the marriage institution by having marriages that are an example to the world. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that we ought to reprove the world. How can we reprove the world about marriage? Stand in the street corner and pass out tracts against divorce? Or have marriages that everyone sees they envy? Because of the companionship between the husband and the wife, the submission of the wife to her husband, and the loving, tender care that the husband provides his wife. That is how we can reprove the, the world of their abuse of the marriage institution. The Bible in the book of Proverbs teaches that we reprove the world by keeping the commandments of God. He that keeps the law does reprove those who break the law. It's an automatic reproof of what they are doing. Brethren, the basic unit of authority and submission in this world is the man-woman relationship instituted in Eden before there was a nation, before there was a church, before there were children, and before there was any business enterprise. The first basic unit of authority and submission is the marriage institution. If we allow that to break down, the rest will come down with it for our children and our wives and ourselves will not appreciate nor understand the importance of authority and submission if we let it fail in our marriages. It is the basic unit 
of authority and submission. With the family unit goes the nation. With the family unit goes the church. The family unit is being destroyed in our nation. And look at the authority of our government, the authority of masters in the workplace, pastors over churches, parents with children. It's all crumbling together because that basic unit is not being held together with proper preaching. Brethren, Satan's device is to divide families. When was the first time he used that? In the Garden of Eden. How long did it take him to get a man that was good and very good? Oh, well, I guess if you read it out loud slowly, the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 3 might take you 40 seconds. Can you think of any other men who departed from the living God because of their wives? Solomon, Samson, David, because of women. God, the devil will use women, our wives, against us if our marriages are not based on the word of God where he does not have an entry. Remember how Jesus Christ repulsed the devil? It is written, it is written, it is written. And our marriages had better be built on it is written, it is written, it is written. Last of all, brethren, marriage is one of the great gifts God's given to men. Look at Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22. Proverbs 18, 22, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Why do we want to have a successful, happy marriage that is maximizing its potential? Because it is a blessing from God if God calls it a blessing, then I dare say that if we have a good one, we're going to appreciate it because it must be something special if to have a wife is to obtain favor and find a good thing from the Lord. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 9. Solomon writes, Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Living under the sun, which is life in this world, has a blessing. And that blessing is a wife. And Solomon here exhorts men to live joyfully with her. Now a marriage that's having problems, a marriage that's fighting, confrontation, animosity, enmity, bitterness, is not living joyfully with your wife. And it's no blessing under the sun. It's a curse. And, and the same man would write in the same book, and I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands, whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her. A marriage not based on the word of God and not performing or the two partners not living according to the word of God is a curse. It is a terrible thing. But a marriage that is based on the word of God can be one of the most enjoyable things God's given us here in this place of vanity while we must stay here. Those are eight reasons why a good marriage is important. Marriage, first of all, is a divine institution. I want to make basically two points this evening. Marriage is a divine institution. That means God ordained it. It is an ordinance of God. 
And God is the only authority for maximizing its utility. Women who've been married 60 years, men who've been psychologists for 50 years, don't know anything about marriage unless what they know agrees with the Bible. God ordained this institution. If God ordained it, I am going to be foolish enough, and I speak as a fool when I say that, to believe that whatever the Bible says about marriage must be the best way to have a happy marriage. How many of you have been to a Christian bookstore recently, or a secular bookstore, and go to the section called Marriage and Family Life? Oh, it's wonderful. All the great advances we've had in learning. And we have had great advances in learning, brethren. Great advances in learning. Book after book after book on how to have a fulfilled wife and things you ought to know about your wife and how a marriage can be such a happy institution and how easy it is in 10 steps to a better marriage next month. And on and on it goes. Shelf after shelf after shelf. Look at 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, brethren, this world is learning a lot about marriage, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, they're ever learning, they're always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen, go read some of that tripe, trash, whatever you want to call it that goes down with a cover that says, this will help your marriage. It's trite. If it doesn't agree with God's word, do you know what I have to say for it? I hate it. I hate it. If it doesn't even have the emphasis of God's word, I hate it. And every man and woman in here tonight ought to hate anything that contraries God's word about marriage. Oh, they're ever learning. They don't know anything about marriage. Go read their books. Let's look at their results. Over the last 30 years, we've had an explosion on how to have happy families and happy marriages. What is facing America at this hour? The destruction of the family unit. What do they know about the family? What do they know about wives? What do they know about husbands? God has promised to make fools out of the wise of this world, and has he ever done it in the subject of how to have a happy family? What do we need as a church? Me as your pastor and you as the saints of the Lord, what do we need in the way of instruction for marriage? For some reason, here in the Second Timothy chapter 3, I, for some reason it's in the same chapter, in verse 16 the apostle says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and he goes on to say in verse 17 that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The only, the only limiting factor on me as your pastor, knowing everything there is to know about marriage, is the lack of time, effort, and sincerity I put into studying this book. That is the only limiting factor. This book has everything a couple needs to know about a happy marriage. 
The scriptures are as relevant for marital instruction today as they ever were. You know, there's a lot of people that think the Bible was written for marriages of 3,300 B.C., maybe 1,000 A.D., but times have changed. Times have changed. In general, the world doesn't follow the Bible pattern any longer. In general, they used to. When you look at America, the scriptures are as relevant today as they ever were. Women haven't changed. Men haven't changed. The nature for the man-woman relationship in marriage hasn't changed. It is the same. God instituted it in the Garden of Eden 4,000 B.C., and it's still the same today 6,000 years later. God is the full and final authority for instruction on marriage. If God designed and ordained marriage, I believe he knows best about it. Where did the institution of marriage come from? A psychologist didn't dream it up. Some mental health doctor didn't dream it up. Some social planner didn't work it, figure it out, that uh, all the cavemen were running around like a bunch of bulls with cows and finally decided one day that, hey, let's pair these two people up and make them commit to each other and come up with the idea of marriage. God did that in the Garden of Eden, and I believe if God ordained it, that we ought to listen to what he says about maintaining it. Right. You know, when, when you want to know how to take care of your car, don't you usually go to the people who built it? You show me the man who invents the thing, I want to learn from that man how to maintain the thing. He's the one who built it. God is the inventor of marriage, and we ought to listen to what he has to say about keeping it. What will you say if the Bible contradicts your thoughts about marriage? What are you going to say? I esteem all things. I esteem thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. That's what it's going to boil down to. To have a happy marriage requires faith. And that is what God said is right. Are you going to believe that and believe it strongly? Now, David just didn't say, I'll prefer what your precepts say, or I'll submit passively to what your precepts say. He said, I'll esteem them right regarding whatever they deal with, and I'll hate anything else. Are you going to hold that with me? God said his ways are not our ways. God said his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, as high as the heaven is above the earth. There isn't even a comparison or not even close. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Here is what the word of God is going to do to your ideas about marriage. There is a very good reason why the Bible says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Because the only good woman, the only good woman, is a woman that fears God. A woman that fears God will hear everything that is said about marriage and say, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. I'd love to hear some more women do some hating. That's what the Word of God teaches. A woman that fears the Lord will hate every false way, and she's going to practice the Bible toward her husband, and that is a gift from God. And who cares what favor she shows and who cares what she looks like relative to that point? That is the essential element in a woman. Second Corinthians chapter 10 
and verse 4. Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He didn't use a sword, a physical, literal metal sword. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Some of you women may be trying to build up right now in your minds a stronghold, and I'm going to do everything in my power to rip it down with the Word of God, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Paul's warfare was one of casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against God. That is the ministry. Now, that's not a pleasant ministry. A church that sits under a pastor where they feel comfortable and they enjoy the preaching all the time is not a godly ministry. A godly ministry is one that's going to be ripping down your little playhouse. It's not always exciting ripping down playhouses. I'll tell you one verse I need at moments like this is 2 Timothy chapter 4, which immediately follows upon the heels of the fact that all Scripture is able to make the man of God perfect. And I believe that so I believe that. I, I don't need to read a single book on marriage if I can just find enough time to read the Bible thoroughly on marriage. <laughs> That's the problem. To get it all put together from what the Word of God declares. Who cares what these modern psychologists have to say? They'll fill you with so much chaff you'll never see the truth. They're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of it. But immediately after saying that the scriptures are fully adequate, Paul goes on to charge his young son in the ministry, Timothy, in verse 1. And he says in verse 2, preach the word. That is what I'm going to preach. Preach the word. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, be instant in season and out of season. Now, some of you know what that word season means because you've just started deer hunting. Sometime it's the appropriate time to hunt deer, and there are other times where you better not hunt deer. And guess what? In 1988, you had better not go after the women and teach submission. It's out of season to do that. It went out about 70 years ago when we passed general suffrage in this nation, and everything went downhill from that. It's out of season. But do you know what Paul said? Be instant anyway. Press it. Sorry. Command it. Exhort with all authority. And I'm going to do that, God helping me. Look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 dealing with the responsibilities of old men, young men, old women, young women in verses 1 through 5, 6. You know, in verses 4 and 5, it deals with women being sober, loving their husbands, loving their children, being obedient, chaste, good, etc. It talks about young men to be sober-minded in verse 6, and it comes down to verse 15, and Paul tells Titus, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So let's go. Marriage is a divine institution. That's rule number one. God ordained marriage. God knows best for marriage. And whatever God says is what I'm going to preach. That's my first point. 
Because I'll tell you, a happy marriage comes down to one fact. Are we going to obey God or not? Every marriage problem can simply be summarized in one little word that's only three letters long. Sin! The woman or the man or both of them together are breaking some commandment. Otherwise, there are no problems in marriage. You say, but we're all sinners. I agree. I agree. But how quickly, how quickly can we fall on our knees and confess our sins and restore a right relationship in our marriage? Marriages. I'm going to show my power this evening. I'm going to show my power to take half of this congregation and raise their blood pressure 20 or 30 points and cause their heart rate to move from 72 to 85 or higher. Because I'm going after what God deals with as the first and the most important thing for a successful marriage, and that is the submission of women. No questions as to what is most important as far as emphasis in the Word of God. The Bible deals over and over and over again with women submitting from Genesis chapter 2 all the way down to Titus chapter 2. It deals a couple of times with men and their responsibilities toward their wives. And believe me, next Sunday evening when I get to the men, they will have their comeuppance because the Bible has a great deal to say about that. But I want to make this statement right here. Any woman who's even thinking about next Sunday or who makes one comment about it is a Jezebel. What I preach next Sunday is none of your concern. It is the concern of your husband. And don't be sitting there grinning and saying inside, well, I can't wait till he gets his share. He's responsible to God. He is not responsible to you. That isn't true with you. Women, you're responsible to your husband. Don't even worry about that. I'm going to raise your blood pressure. You know why? Because you hate to submit. You know why? Because you're a sinner. You know why this one's particularly hard? Because it involves crushing your pride. If a woman says she doesn't have a problem submitting to her husband, she's already under the devil's delusion. There's two things true about a woman that says she doesn't have a problem. First of all, she's a liar, possibly. The second thing is she doesn't know what submission is. A woman that understands what the Word of God says about submission will have difficulty doing it because we're sinners. And one characteristic of sin, which, which began with pride, when the devil said, I will be like the Most High, women want to say the same thing and they're yelling that and clamoring for that across this nation. I will be like my husband, we'll be partners, I'm his equal, he can't put me down, I have my rights too. The Bible talks about sin resulting in men despising dominion. Women despise the dominion of a husband. So first of all, know that I understand that to some degree. Women, you forget sometimes when you get out of control and you don't submit to your husband. You forget it is God's ordinance for you to submit to your husband. You forget that your husbands have to submit to a number of masters in their lives, 
and you forget you blew it miserably in the Garden of Eden. Do not forget that the fact that your desires must now be subordinate to your husband's desires and that he shall rule over you with authority is the result of your fall. In the Garden of Eden, God made a companion and a help meet for Adam, and there was a tender, affectionate relationship between the two of them on more of an equal plane than there was after. Remember three things. God ordained it, your husband's under authority, and you blew it. Now, Paul said that. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Women today control the pulpits of America. So the theology that's coming out of seminaries and out of most pulpits is nauseous. They're ordaining women. I, I believe it was just this afternoon. I didn't take but one minute to look at the newspaper. And the South, in the South Carolina Baptist Conventions meeting in Spartanburg this week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and a woman's going to be elected to be the president of, the, of this particular group of the... 1,700 Southern Baptist churches that are in South Carolina, and, oh, she talked about how that Jesus Christ is a place for women in the New Testament church among Baptist churches. Well, listen, if you were to read anything that comes out of seminaries today, you'd know that they're being operated by women. Theology of women. Because the churches are filled with women, so the men are pandering to them because the men are women. They're ordaining women. There's equality. Women can have offices in the church also. And on and on it goes. Satan is doing the best he can to overthrow the position of men, the relationship of men and women in marriage and in the church. Now, you women are going to be complaining inside. And how many times have I heard it? How many times have you said it? It's easy for you to talk about submission because you don't have to do it. Cut the baloney. How ignorant are you? How ignorant are you? Who do, we, who do men have to submit to? Christ is the head of the man. Our government's the head of the men in this congregation. I'm the head of some men in this congregation. They work for men who are heads over them. Some of you right now are looking at, this, this late in the year, are looking at pay stubs that show somebody stealing 30, 40, or more percent of your paycheck. Ever thought about that, women? Your husband works hard, and he sees 30 or 40 percent of that paycheck disappearing to Uncle Sam. He is in subjection and submission to government. Men are under authority also. Don't forget this. Authority brings greater condemnation. You know where the Bible says, Be not many masters, knowing ye shall receive the greater condemnation? The privilege, and in my outline you'll see a parentheses and question mark behind that, the privilege of authority brings greater responsibility because God will condemn and judge the husband greater for the way your family turns out than he will you. The buck stops at the husband. Men cheerfully and heartily try to serve their masters on the job, I have heard from those masters. Consider for a minute how athletes submit to coaches. Can you imagine 11 players in a football field gathered in a huddle 
The player runs in from the sideline with the play from the coach. There's only one play left, and the quarterback wants to make a quarterback sneak over the goal line, and he calls for a handoff to the fullback. That quarterback is ready to chew nails. What does he do? He stomps on the ground and throws his helmet in the air, and he says, how can you do that? Don't you ever think about me? He hands off to the fullback. Athletes are in subjection to coaches. When we played sports, I don't, know how many, I don't know how many of you played sports and had coaches that made you run until you were about to see your, bre your breakfast and lunch over again. Listen, that's submission. They told us what to do, and we did it. We did it. Men submit. How many of you like to see the president, whenever he makes an appearance of the vice president, and see some secret service men standing there around that man? They are willing to give their lives on a moment's notice for that president. They submit. How many saw President Reagan, the attempted assassination on President Reagan several years ago, where secret service men, without thinking, threw themselves on his body, fully prepared to take any other bullets that might come and give their lives? Ever watch those men? They never get their names in the paper. They get no recognition. They simply stand there and walk around with the President of the United States. They serve men. We all serve men. Listen, mafia bodyguards will give their lives. They don't even know the truth of the gospel. They'll give their lives for their don anytime. Sailors on ships, men in the military. Can you imagine some private trying to tell a sergeant in boot camp that he has his rights and that didn't he know that times have changed? A sergeant would like a private to tell him that. <laughs> Men do it all the time. You women don't know anything about submission. You have never faced a machine gun nest on some hill and had some sergeant tell a small platoon of men to take that machine gun nest out knowing that half of you were going to get blown away before you made it there. Or all of you were going to get blown away before you made it there if his judgment was poor. And women sit in their pretty little chairs and complain about men glorying and emphasizing and teaching the Word of God about submission. Well, it's easy for you to say because you don't have to do it. You wouldn't have this free nation if thousands, yea, millions of men had not charged the sands of Iwo Jima, Okinawa, and other islands simply because a man told them to do it when they knew the first several waves will be annihilated. You say you're make listen, it is so ridiculous to even make the comparison, but I'm going to make the comparison in the defense of the Word of God to try to give you some reasonable approach to hear what the Bible has to say. All women in 1988 have more trouble with this point than probably at any other time in the history of this world. We have a breakdown of authority in this nation. Women that resist what I'm going to about to finish up and preach on here in the next few minutes, women that resist this preaching in your minds are resisting the ordinance of God. Look at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. This whole universe is under submission. God is at the apex 
of the pyramid, if you will, of authority and submission. Kings and masters and parents and husbands are there, and we're all in submission to various men. David was king of Israel, but was he in submission? The prophets of God could come and call his hand any time they chose. He was in submission, and he obeyed. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, I know the primary force of this passage, the context of this passage, is dealing with civil authority. But the point is still valid. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. Let's not worry so much about the Lord's Supper and baptism. Let's worry about wives submitting to husbands. This is the ordinance of God. Romans chapter 13. Now I want to read a number of passages in the Bible quickly, and I want you to follow along with me, and then I'm going to draw some points from them. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I debated, wondering how to go about in one sermon to try to cover everything I want to cover. I think the most efficient means will be to read all the passages, just read them, and then I'll draw some points from them. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. God made a help for Adam. Adam was alone in this world. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, this is God's statement to the woman after the fall. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. A woman's desires will be subordinate to her husband's, and he shall rule over the woman. All the way now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of the man, the man is the head of the woman. The woman is to have long hair in order to give a public, visible manifestation and symbol of her being under the authority of the man. The man is in the image, and the man is the glory of God. The woman is not the glory of God, and the woman was not created in the image of God. The man is in the image of God by his authority and power over the woman. The woman is the glory of the man. The, the man was not made for the woman. God did not design marriage for the benefit of the woman. God did not design marriage for the happiness of the woman. 
God designed marriage for the happiness, pleasure, and glory of the man. Look at chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Notice, this is one of the three passages where husbands and wives are dealt with in the same context, wives always come first. Wives, submit yourselves, and there's a very important reason that I'll get to later. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, and be subject to them in everything. Verse 24. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. Colossians 3.18. Here's the second passage where women come first. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Colossians 3.18. First Timothy chapter 2. Verse 11. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Hopefully you're familiar with these passages. I just want to read them all. I want you to see the emphasis and the weight of Scripture on the point, and we'll draw, then we'll draw some conclusions. Titus chapter 2. Beginning at verse 4, this is speaking of the older women that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. An important reason for us having marriages that are pleasing to God is that the word of God be not blasphemed. Just the other day, I was watching something on the boob tube about the marriage of Prince Charles and Lady Di. And there they are walking along in a garden talking about their marriage vows, and she's, at, she's telling him she doesn't want to have the words obedient in the vows. Precious. Precious. God said that the older women are to teach the younger women to be obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And these things are what I'm supposed to speak, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Women are so enlightened nowadays. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Likewise, that's a comparison to servants under masters from chapter 2. 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. 
while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of... Chapter 3 and verse 4, But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Holy women of old time were in subjection to their husbands with fear. These verses, all put together, teach the, the first rule of a godly, Bible-based marriage that is capable of realizing its potential, and that is that the woman is to be the submissive helper of the man in marriage. That is the first and most emphasized fact in marriage, in the Word of God. What does it mean? Well, now I'm just going to draw some things from those passages you've just read. I don't want to spend weeks on this subject. One night should be enough. Genesis chapter 2. Don't, you don't need to turn there. I'm just going to draw some conclusions. First of all, it's a man's world. It's a man's world. God made this world for men. The man is in the image of God. This universe is God's universe. God made this little tiny place called the earth and put the man over it. In the garden of you can read in Genesis chapter 2 that God planted a beautiful garden and he put a man in it to dress it and to keep it and there was no woman. It's a man's world. He then looked at the man and said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper for him in his world. It's a man's world. A woman who doesn't understand that is going to be frustrated. A woman who doesn't understand that in this congregation is rejecting the word of God. The man is in the image of God. He has his sphere that's his, and that's this world. Eve was created to serve him. She's his helper. The woman was made for the man, not the man for the woman. Marriage is not a mutual compact for the benefit of both. Marriage is an institution for the benefit of man. The Sabbath was instituted for the benefit of man. Men and women. Marriage was not so. Marriage was instituted for the benefit of the male, the man. Paul plainly teaches us that again in the New Testament, that the man was not made for the woman, but the woman for the man. Listen, if you can just read that verse and understand that and realize your place, that will go a long way to curing marriage problems. And again, don't you dare sit there and think that men don't submit. I just gave you illustrations, and if you'd ever be honest and fair and reasonable and think about them, more men have given their lives for you than all women combined have ever given their lives. Everyone has to submit. But when it comes to this world, it's a man's world, and the woman is under the man. The woman was made to help the man. Her aim in life is this, to make my man everything that he can and should be. Secret servicemen do everything they can to make the president as safe as possible. 
a good employee is going to do everything he can to promote his boss. What is the great big difference? I know about some of you men. I know when your boss asks you to do something and you're t if you've come in off the road and you want to go home and he asks you to make another run and you know a couple of men I'm talking about, you go do it. If a boss wants a project done and you've got two weeks worth of work to do in one week, what do you do? Tell them that you've got your own life to live also and that you can't serve them that faithfully? You work and you burn the midnight oil and I hope you're doing it with a smile. I know from some of you that you do it that way. Women need to subject themselves the same way in this sphere of the world. Let me clear up one thing. There is no such thing as an help meet. I think women and men, some men, love the term help meet because it confuses the point. There is no such thing as a help meet. There's a helper. There's a help. Eve was made to be the help meet for Adam. Let's emphasize the word that God put there. Eve is a help. She's not a help meet. Help meet is not a noun. Help is the noun. You say that's a small point. No, it emphasizes what God emphasized, and that's a helper. Fit, suitable, appropriate. That's what the word meet means for Adam. Observe one thing. This order of priority, the man's world and the woman was his helper, was before the fall. That's not a result of sin. That's before the fall. The fall simply made it worse. The fall simply made it worse. Since the fall, the foolishness, the weakness of the woman is known. And since the fall, men are to rule over her foolishness and weakness. That was manifested in the fall. That is what Paul teaches in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. When the Bible makes reference to the fact of a woman being a weaker vessel, obviously that is true physically. Mentally, pure IQ, it is not so readily apparent. But when it comes to character, excuse me for blinking, but I've got some muscle twitch in my left eyes and bothering me all day. The weaker vessel primarily applies to character because she was deceived by the devil and a man is to rule over her and deliver her from deception. And by character, I mean this, that when it comes to making rational, reasonable, sound decisions, she is less capable than the man. But if, you were, if we were to sit down and take IQ tests this evening, I don't even know if I'd like to look at the results. And I'll grant that right off the bat. I've never seen that much difference between the IQ of a woman and the IQ of a man. That isn't the point of being the weaker vessel, and God never made that point. God made the point from the fact that she couldn't handle herself in the Garden of Eden. The man is to rule over the wife, and the wife's desires are to be his desires. Look at Genesis chapter 3 again. I want you to see those words. God said to Eve, Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. I want to compare those words within the Word of God for you to see what they mean. They mean total submission. Look at Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7. This is God speaking to Cain. Genesis 4, 7, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be 
his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. The very same words that were spoken to Eve were spoken to Cain about Abel. Abel's desires would be subordinate to Cain's because Cain was going to kill him against his desire. Cain's desire would become superior to Abel's desire. Abel's desire would become subordinate to Cain's. And Abel would lose his life because his desire to live would be squashed. Now in a marriage, the woman has got to admit right off the bat, I am made to help the man. It's a man's world. My purpose for living is the benefit of my man. My desires have to be his desires. I must squash my own desires. That's what the Word of God teaches. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, in the same way that Abel's was to Cain. A woman needs to learn to subordinate her desires to those of her husband. Her desires, her ambitions, her goals, her aims should be to make her husband all that he should be. And if a woman had that attitude every day, all day, or as long as she could maintain it, it would end a lot of problems right there, especially in this nation, where women have so many ambitions and aims and desires of their own. Don't say inside, I have a right to my own desires, but I've got some desires also. God said, your desires are his desire. But if my husband spends some money, don't I have an equal opportunity to spend some myself? No one's ever said that, have they? If my husband went out and spent some money, don't I have a right to spend some? If he can buy his toys, can't I buy mine? That's not what the Word of God teaches. His desire is your desire. Nowhere does it teach from, a, from the woman's perspective that her desires are to be expressed like that. He gets free time. Why can't I have free time? Your desire will be his desire. He will rule over you. You were made for him, not him for you. From your vantage point, he has no responsibility, nor does he owe you to give you an equal amount of free time because he has free time. We went on in those verses and found out that God is the head of Christ, Christ the head of the man, the man the head of the woman. There is a very carefully defined step-down positions of authority from God to Christ. And what do we read about Christ in his relationship to God the Father? He always does those things that please him, John chapter 8 and verse 11. Christ knows how to submit. I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus Christ himself is the greatest example of submission in the universe. I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that throughout eternity, Jesus Christ will be subject, same word used of women, to God the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus said, I always do those things that please my Father. He knew how to submit. Christ submits to God. Men are responsible to submit to Christ. Christ is our head as men. We owe our obligations, duties, desires, and all of that to Christ, and he shall rule over us. And over the woman God has placed the man, that is his order of things. 
When you submit to your husband, you are submitting to Christ. Because Christ put that man over you. Look at this passage in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. As a woman submits to her husband, as an employee submits to his master, he should always remember that his submission is actually to Christ. When the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord, what does that mean? Submit in a way that you would, in the, in the same way that you would submit to the Lord. And through submitting to your husband, you're submitting to the Lord. Look at what the Bible says about servants. Colossians 3.22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Servants who do a good job of obeying their masters are serving Jesus Christ. Do you remember when I preached that message entitled Full-Time Christian Service? For those of us who went to Arminian fundamentalist-type churches, we were always hearing about full-time Christian service. Listen, whether you're at Roadway, at Serene, or at DSI, you're in full-time Christian service. You're serving the Lord Christ as an employee. And wives, you're in full-time Christian service by serving your husband. Because Christ has put that husband over you. Now Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 24 tells us that wives are to submit to their own husbands in everything. Everything. You say, aren't there limitations? I'm not worried about them. You show me a wife that submits too far, and we'll deal with it then. I'll mention it, though. I've got the point, because the Bible makes the point. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6. That isn't the problem women have, and anybody, any woman who automatically thinks that way is trying to rebel. That isn't the problem, is it? That you obey your husband too well. The problem is you don't like to submit to him in everything. And yet, women... Wives, mothers, love to have their children obey in all things. It's amazing, isn't it? You want your children to obey everything you tell them. But are women as prepared to submit to their husbands in everything? The same language is used. Looking back at Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in all things. Verse 22, servants obey in all things your masters. This is life. When a person is in a position of authority, they are be, to be obeyed in everything. Women, you may not select those things you think are reasonable, those things you think are convenient, those things that match up with your plans for the day. From your vantage point, who cares about your plans? Who cares about your plans? That isn't hard. That isn't hard language at all. Listen, we've all worked for, we've all worked for bosses where we were working on a project. And I'm speaking respectfully. It's hard. He, came, he comes in and he tells you that he wants you to pull, pull off that project and do another project. And you know you've got to get the first one done by tomorrow morning. He doesn't care. If he's got a new priority, he gives you his new priorities and you don't tell him that you're not going to do it. 
there's a place for some very submissive, kind, respectful hints and reminders that, remember, we've got this other priority. There's a place for that. But in everything, not just, as what, not just what is convenient for you. Oh, women love to submit on things that are reasonable, moderate, convenient, tasteful, appropriate, profitable, enjoyable, easy, and what they call wise. God didn't ask you to ever measure what your husband tells you to do until he, for, until he is asking you to do something contrary to God. Otherwise, you're to submit to your husbands in everything. The real test for a woman is in a time of adversity when the kids are involved. You know, women get really emotional and protective about their kids, their children. The children they bore for their husband. The children bear the name of their husband. The children are always in Scripture accounted to the man because it's a man's world. You bear those children for your man. But when children are involved and your husband sets down some rules for your daughters to whom you relate, how agreeable, how cheerful, how completely do you obey him when it involves your daughters, when you can remember what it was like to be a daughter? Do you cheerfully and completely and fully stand there with him and agree to what he is commanding or ordering for his household? Wives will, a good wife will submit to her husband in everything, even when it involves the children. A daughter may come home and want to go out with some guy that the father does not think is worth taking his daughter out. And oh, the wife will pitch a little fit. But she needs to have some fun too. You sinned when you do that. You've sinned when you've done that. Submit, obey, be in subjection. Let his desires be your desires. He's responsible for those children far more than you are. How are you when your husband makes a mistake? Do you rub it in? Do you remind him of it? Do you tell him, I told you so? If you listened to me in the first place, you wouldn't have made that mistake. You know I'm always better when it comes to things like that than you are. That's not submission. How many of you tell your bosses that? What do you do when you're not feeling the best? You say, I work hard all day. He comes home and plops down in his easy chair and says, would you go get me some pop, would you go make me some popcorn? What do you do? Throw a book across the room? Tell him to go get it himself. Tell him, well, I worked hard all day too. Don't you think you can go get it? That isn't submission. When was the last time you told your boss that? Ever been in a meeting? And instead of sending you downstairs or down the hall to get a report that's not there at the meeting, he doesn't go himself. He sends you. Men, I'm re referring to at the moment. Listen. Men do that all the time for their bosses. What do you do? If you come back with any of the responses I just gave, it's very simple. It's called S-I-N, sin. You sin against your husband. Your role in this world is to serve your husband. Well, you say, that doesn't sound very fair. I would run myself ragged 
I would run myself ragged if I didn't hold back some of that service. And if I didn't throw a fit every now and then, he'd run over me. You're ignorant. That's a lie from the devil. Do you know who else makes that lie? I'm going to always I'm going to com compare back to men. The slothful man. The slothful man who doesn't get a promotion on the job. Do you know what his excuse is? If I worked as hard as you described, all I would be doing is giving, 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 and I'd never get anything. So why should I work hard? Where is he missing the boat? There is a law of nature and a law of Scripture. You serve your master well, and you will be honored. Look at Proverbs 27 and verse 18. Proverbs 27 and verse 18. I taught this in Bible economics. Women, you heard it then. You believed it for your husbands in the workplace. Believe it for yourselves in the home. Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. So he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. And you know, there were many other verses I raised just like this one. A servant that waits on his master well will at the end be made a son. I believe it's Proverbs 17 in verses 1 or 2. If you wait well on your master, there is promotion coming. You say, but I've served my husband and I haven't seen the promotion yet. I'd ask you how well have you served him and with what kind of an attitude have you served him. Any woman who served her husband well knows that there's plenty of reward. What do you do when you're not feeling the best, when you're tired there at the end of the day? Are you just as cheerful about serving your husband? Your husband's got a brain. He knows you've worked all day. But the least bit of resistance that a man sees from a woman, you have no idea what swells up in his heart if he's half a man. And women think that by tossing their head, rolling their eyes, and stomping into the kitchen, banging around, and finally bringing the popcorn in and throwing it in his lap is submission. All you've done is guaranteed misery for yourself. There is no feeling like being in a position of authority and fearing rebellion. Ever read the story of Mutiny and the Bounty and that poor captain at sea, too far away from home to get home, and the crew begins to talk about mutiny? It's a terrible situation. And when a husband sees that mutiny in the part of his wife, it, cre it creates in him more animosity and vengeance and anger, which I'll deal with next Sunday, than you can imagine, even though he went and did what he asked. And then you wonder why you don't get rewarded. Listen, a woman that serves her husband well will be praised and honored. The Bible teaches that over and over. The virtuous woman, her children and her husband will rise up and call her blessed. She'll be an honored, rewarded woman. But I have to stand up for my rights. You're what? You're what? Do you know what your rights are in the Word of God? Food for your belly, clothes on your back, and the duty of marriage. Find me one more right that a woman has in marriage in the Bible. Oh, men are under obligation to provide more than that, but women have no right to more than that. 
What if your children said that? But I have my rights too. You'd squash them. And you women would squash them also. It's the principle of authority. What rights do children have? You know, it takes two to fight. We were supposed to have learned that when we were very young, right? It takes two to fight. If a wife would learn how to submit, most fights would end right there. That is the most amazing thing in the world. But they love to stick their two cents in and stand up on their two legs and fight back, either verbally, in their head tossing, their smart looks, their rolling eyes, things they say to the kids, the sullen pouting, crying. That creates open war in a home and that destroys marriages. We've just had a marriage destroyed. I don't want to see any more. I hope that no one here wants to see any more. If women would submit, what would happen to a marital conflict? It would end. It's amazing to hear women complaining about things like fetching things. He comes home and he flops himself down and he wants me to go fetch things for him. What's new about that? How many times was I called gopher at Michigan National Bank? I've fetched many things. You know what a gopher is, don't you? Someone that goes for things. So, like that's some big deal to go get someone something. That's a real act of submission. Women complain about fetching things. They complain about dress standards. Your husband may want you to dress a certain way and you don't like it. Maybe you want to wear pants and he wants you to wear a dress or a skirt most of the time. Maybe you want to wear a dress or a skirt and he'd like to see you in a pair of pants once in a while at home. Guess what? You ought to dress the way he wants to see you. You are his glory. You do not have any glory of your own but to him. Your purpose in life is to please him. So you dress the way he wants you to. What if he wants you to grow your hair long and you don't like long hair because it takes too much work? I've heard that one so many times it's starting to add up. Long hair takes too much work. So I don't want to grow it long for him. If he wants it long, grow it long. You shouldn't even talk about it. But do it if he wants you to grow it long. Listen, if he wants it red with white stripes running down through it, I'll talk to him. <laughs> you are his glory. Fulfill your purpose in this world. Be glorious to him. If you make him glorious, he's going to make you glorious. That's a principle of nature and of the word of God. I hate using these references from Michigan National, but I have not worked the jobs you men have, and I hope that you'll use these with your wives and your children. I sat down and told my boss, my purpose in this company is to make you the very best president and chief financial officer, two separate men that this company has ever had. I am going to serve you so that you may sit at your desk and read the Wall Street Journal. I'll do it all for you. I'm not trying to set myself up as some great example of submission because I did a few things at Michigan National Bank that I'm not going to bring out in this sermon. I once stood in a board meeting and roll, I'll tell you one. The president of, I shouldn't tell you this. Forget it. Ask me later. 
No, if I'm going to talk about the good side, you can hear the bad side. <laughs> the president of our bank had a great big promotion one year, internal management, in which he gave, he bought a whole, you know, a hundred hardballs, professional baseballs, and every man had to have this baseball sitting on his credenza, sofa table, whatever, in his office, all the officers of the bank, because in this particular year, whatever it was, I guess it was 1983, we're going to play hardball this year. Well, I was giving a presentation at a meeting with about a 30-foot mahogany table with Everyone lined up around it, and the president in the middle spot, and I'm at the end with an overhead projector making a presentation. And I was trying to sell a concept to the bank that they were being a little reluctant buying mentally. And so I pulled out of my briefcase a hardball and rolled it right down the middle of the table. And I said, are you guys going to play hardball, or is this the game you want to play? And I went and bought what's called a Chicago softball. It's 15 inches around, and I rolled that down the table. You could have heard a pin drop that far on carpet because those balls stopped in front of the man <laughs> that had come up with the idea. But how did I get away with something that ridiculous? Those two balls are still in my office. I got away with that because that man knew that I served him and everyone there at that table knew that I served him and I was trying to sell a point for the salvation of a bank losing money. And I was a young whippersnapper. But the point is this. I sat down with those men when they put me in the position at the executive offices of that company and flat out told them what my job was. The only right I have is to quit. I've told you that before. That's what I told them. I want you to be able to sit at the desk and flip through the Wall Street Journal and figure out other things for me to do. And we'll make this bank run. I only bring that up because men do that. Men do that. Men have done that in the military. I could ask men to stand here that have been in the military. Men have given their lives simply because a man told them to go give their life. Submission is part of this world. Women. Your role in this life is to make your husband the greatest man that he can possibly be, and if he becomes a great man, guess where you'll be? Why do you think I serve that president so well? You think I love others that much? Listen, we're all filled with pride. I wanted to serve that president, make him as great as he possibly could be, because the greater I made him, the greater I was going to be. And the greater a woman serves her husband, the greater she'll be, because her husband will exalt and reward her. That shouldn't even be the primary motive, though. The primary motive should be because it's the ordinance of God. What about your weight? Your husband wants you to lose weight, gain weight? That ought to be your goal. With my wife, it's usually been to gain weight. She tries her best. Most of you want your wives, maybe want your wives to lose weight. You wives ought to lose the weight. Your purpose in living is your husband. Lose the weight. If he wants you to take up belly dancing and you think belly dancing is ridiculous, go take up belly dancing. It's, it's a no-brainer. And then women will throw this one out. And I don't ever want to hear this again, but you don't have to sleep with them. No, I didn't do that with my president. That's true. Thank God I didn't do that with my president. But do you know what? Is God impressed? Is God impressed with your great sacrifice in that area of your marriage? 
Where in the Word of God does God give you ever any license to withhold that or to use that as an excuse that your role of submission is different from others? As if that's comparable to giving your life at Iwo Jima, at Gettysburg, or some other place? Wives are commanded to reverence their husbands. It's not just enough to submit. There should be reverence involved in it. You know, the Bible said... The Bible says it, so I'm going to preach it. Sarah called Abraham Lord. And a good woman will reverence her husband in a similar way. It does not say there that women have to call their husbands Lord. But the easiest way to fulfill the verse might be to do that. Because it means reverence in a way like that. Reverence isn't icing on the cake of submission. Reverence is not icing on the cake of submission for a woman to think, well, I submit. I may not reverence him the way I should, but, I mean, that's the icing. At least I give him the cake. Reverence is an ingredient in the cake. It's no icing. It's what's expected. There's a, there's a saying in the military, salute the uniform. Salute the uniform. There is reverence in the military. Men must reverence one another by the way they behave around them. And there's protocol in a business environment where men must behave a certain way around other men. Reverence is something that submission requires. You ought to read Abigail, 1 Samuel 25, and Bathsheba, 1 Kings chapter 1. Both of them were wives of David. Both of them called David Lord. Both of them fell on their faces before David and begged of him his mercy toward them. When David proposed to Abigail, Abigail fell on her face and said, Let me wash the feet of your servants. When was the last time you heard a woman talk like that? Let me wash the feet of your servants, not even David's feet, but the feet of David's servants. A woman will say, I can't submit when I don't respect him. I don't respect him anymore and I can't submit. I love this one. I can't submit to him anymore because I just don't respect him. You've got two problems. If you don't respect your husband, that's a sin. If you don't respect your husband, that's a sin. You say, he hasn't earned my respect. He doesn't have to earn your respect. He never has to earn your respect. God already gave him your respect. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33, and women see that they reverence their husbands. To respect your husband is a commandment, not an option. It's not something for you to wait for until you feel like it. It has nothing to do with respect. Because respect is commanded and the submission is commanded. I don't respect him. Listen, we're not talking about the man so much as we are the office, as it is with all authority. When was the last time your husband was driving down the road and a policeman pulled him over? And when the policeman approached his window, the the, your husband said to the policeman, well, would you tell me a little bit about what you, what you like at home so that I can determine whether I respect you or not? Do you throw your socks in the dirty clothes or do you leave them in the middle of the bedroom? I've got to determine whether I respect you or not if I'm going to sit here. Respect is commanded for positions in authority. It's not something you wait for. It's not an excuse for not submitting. A woman will say, well, I, don't, I can't submit to him anymore because I don't love him. What? You're commanded to love him. 
And in addition to being commanded to love him, you're commanded to submit to him. Not loving him is not an excuse for not submitting. It's not an excuse for a rebellion. You're to love and to submit. All of these are common expressions. I don't respect him anymore. God gave him respect. Well, he hasn't earned my respect yet. When he earns my respect, I'll submit to him. He doesn't have to earn your respect. He earned it by being born male. And then because you married him. Don't let such weak, foolish arguments deter you from honoring and submitting to your husband. Wives, women, submission without the right attitude isn't submission that counts. If you just go through it passively, if you go through it belligerently, that, it, that doesn't count with God. It doesn't count with your husband. Some of you women may submit to your husbands and, you've, and you wonder why your husband doesn't treat you better. I ask you with what attitude do you do it? Colossians chapter 3 said, Servants, serve your masters heartily as unto the Lord. Wives ought to serve their husbands heartily. Be excited about it. Be aggressive about it. Be active about it. Show some initiative in doing it. Don't wait for him to ask. If somebody, if your husband has to ask you every time to get something done, you don't earn anything with him because you're not submitting. Submitting is go so far that you will think ahead what he wants and do it instead of being always prodded to do it. What if your boss always had to tell you to come into work on time every day, tell you what you had to do every day, always remind you? You wouldn't last long. If, if men didn't show some initiative in serving their masters, passive rebellion is still rebellion. Do you know what passive rebellion is? It's not just blowing up on the spot and yelling at them. It's pouting about it. It's getting sullen about it. It's not being enthusiastic the rest of the evening about it. That's sin. You know, the Lord himself, and I've taught these verses before, that even if we serve God and we serve God without joyfulness and gladness of heart, it is service that God has no interest in and he'll curse us for it. If you serve your husband without joyfulness and gladness of heart, it is no service for which you are to be praised, nor which is pleasing to God. If you don't do it cheerfully and gladly, Listen, we spank children for pouting, for head-tossing, please think about the terms, for debating, for slamming doors, for yelling, for joking about authority, for complaining, for nagging, for ignoring, for avoiding, for stomping, for crying. Women will throw all sorts of passive acts of rebellion. They'll pout about it. They'll ignore him for a while. Well, I'll get, I'll get him. Let's see how much of a response he gets out of me the next two days. That's rebellion. That isn't submission. That's rebellion. And rebellion is sin, and it's like the sin of witchcraft, according to the Word of God. They'll pout. They'll cry. They'll ignore. They'll complain. They'll nag. They'll slam a door. They'll toss their head. They'll roll their eyes. How many of you women ever roll your eyes at your husband? Make a face. Get a disgusted look on your face and walk away. Well, you've done something. If a child did it, they'd be killed. Proverbs chapter 30. 
And you understand that about children, but why don't you apply it to yourself? How many times has your husband rolled his eyes and make a disgusted look and slam the door with his boss? He'd be looking for a new job shortly. These are the laws of authority and submission. These are basic, but these are necessary for a marriage to work. The right attitude is often reflected by initiative in serving your husband. Think ahead what he wants so he doesn't have to ask for it. Serve him well, and he'll reward you for it. It's the meek and quiet spirit that to God is of great praise, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. That passive rebellion is not of great praise to God. It stinks. It's the meek and quiet spirit that God is looking for. Submission is not modified in any way by the ability or character of your husband. I covered that last Sunday. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have a husband that's forward, that is irrelevant to your service. If your husband is forward, if your husband is obnoxious, if your husband expects too much out of you, so what? Serve him anyway. When it's time to deal with the husbands, I'll deal with the husbands. You don't have any right to determine what is convenient, what is reasonable, what is moderate, what is acceptable to you. If he wants you to do something that's unacceptable to you, do it anyway. That's the nature of submit. Why do you think there is authority? If husbands only ask their wives to do things they want to do, there's no need for authority. If masters only ask their employees to do things they wanted to, there's no need for authority. Authority means that you will submit and obey when you're asked to do something you don't want to do. That's the only time you can ever prove it or show it. Submitting to a man when he's asking you to do something you want to do is a joke. That doesn't prove anything. It is the office that you're serving, and the office was established by God. When you're serving your husband and he's asking you to do something you don't want to do, do it as unto the Lord. You're doing it to the Lord. It is the office that God has established that the woman is honoring when she submits in such a situation. How many times in the book of Proverbs does it describe that cantankerous woman, the brawling woman, the contentious woman? She's like a drop. She's like the continual dropping of a rainy day. There is nothing so frustrating, so prone to provoke men to anger as a woman complaining, as a woman not cheerfully and gladly serving her husband. And please be reminded in the book of Proverbs there isn't one statement about a husband being oppressive. That hasn't been the main problem. That hasn't been a problem that God's taken pains to talk about. The trouble in most marriages is the woman doesn't know how to submit and make her desires and goals in life those of her, the, that of her husband. Your husband may not be as smart as you. There's women in here that if I gave an IQ test, I'm sure some of you women would pass your husbands. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. So what if you're smarter intellectually? God still considers you a weaker vessel because you blew it in the Garden of Eden. You don't know how to think through issues. You don't know how to make good judgment. That is what God said. It is not superior intelligence that gives rise to the office of husband. It is God that gives rise to the office of husband. The king of a given land is not usually the smartest man in the land. He's simply the man God's put in the office. Listen, some of you were probably smarter than your parents, but does that mean you had a right to disobey them? That, that should mean that you can obey better. Because you should know better if you're more intelligent. 
in true intelligence, which is called wisdom and understanding in Scripture. Submission is a woman's responsibility. This is an important point. Submission cannot be enforced or created by the man. Sometimes we'd like to be able to do that. Many times it's needed. Submission is not created by the person in authority. Submission is a voluntary act on the part of the one under authority. There are some very interesting statements in Scripture. Do you remember when Paul wrote in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey them, submit to them that have the rule over you. Now, wait a minute. If they have the rule over you, why do you have to obey them? You're going to be forced to obey them. No, it's a mutual agreement between parties. Every sphere of human authority is by voluntary submission. Why do men go in the military? They go in and volunteer to submit to the hierarchy of authority. It's very interesting in the Bible when David was made king. God made David king of Israel. But if you were to go read about the event, you would find that the nation of Israel made David king. It was not enough for God to say David is king. All the people had to agree David is going to be our king. Once that submission is granted, then David has some authority to enforce it. What I'm doing tonight is appealing to all of you women. Submission is your voluntary act. But by voluntary act, this does not give you any excuse not to do it, nor does it lessen its responsibility. You must do it. That is how a marriage works, by voluntary submission. We voluntarily submit to our employers when we take a job. Now, a husband cannot create submission. And listen, for you men, if you don't know that yet, you need to learn a basic lesson of life. You cannot create submission. The woman must do it voluntarily. And that's why Paul said, wives. He didn't say, husband, beat your wives into submission. I know you feel like that. He said, wives, submit to your own husbands and everything, because it's a voluntary arrangement. Very important point. God made David king, but Israel made David king. What could one man do against a nation? What is one man going to do? Throw a temper tantrum on the, on the throne in Jerusalem and hope the nation obeyed? The people had to make David king, and a woman has to make her husband head. God's already made him head, but you have to obey God by making him head in your life and as far as your desires are concerned. How do you get started? How do you do a better job in submitting to your husband and helping put our marriages in this church on a Bible basis? If you fear God and you want to please God, you are going to say tonight, I believe every passage that he read, the points that he made and drew from those verses are true. They're hard to accept, but they're true. I esteem them to be right, and I hate every false way, and I hate myself for fighting them. First thing a woman needs to do to be a better wife is to agree that what the Bible says about submission is right. Absolutely right. No modifications or qualifications. The second thing she should do, and submission is not a change in conduct over time. Submission
Meditation is an act of your mind right now. Every woman in here can make an act of their mind right now. I am going to submit to that man. I am going to make him the center of my life. I am going to honor him and serve him and be in subjection to him. That is an act of the will. The first thing you should do is to admit that what God said about submission is absolutely right. The second thing you should do is to thank God for the man he's given you and make him the center of your life. The first principle is to recognize the position. God put the husband over the woman in no uncertain terms as we heard tonight. Second point, God has put a man in that position over me and he is going to be the center of my life and I thank you God for him. I want to make him as great as he possibly can be. Third thing, confess to God and your husband any rebellion that you've had and state your desire to serve him well. How many of you women make it a practice of telling your husband you want to make him everything that he should be and you want to serve him well and you're sorry when you've rebelled against him either passively or actively if you've tossed your head or not served him with initiative or cheerfulness or gladness? Confess it to God and to him and tell him that you want to serve him well. Focus on the most difficult times when you are tempted not to submit and prepare your response in advance. There are certain things your husband does that bother you. Think about them in advance right now and prepare to submit in advance. You make sure you fear God's ordinance more than other women. I know this statement cuts and hurts women so much. Well, I've never let my husband do that to me. If you women ever hear another woman in this congregation say that, call her a Jezebel and set her straight. That is wickedness. I'd never let my husband do that to me. Well, then you're a wicked woman. Submit. And you women cannot let others intimidate you. You have to work together to encourage each other to submit in the way that you should. Fear God's ordinance more than any ridicule or reproach that other women might bring on you. If you have to say when you're standing with another group of women, well, I need to go ask my husband about that. And they look at you like you're something from prehistoric times. Don't let them do that to you. And who cares about the faces of men? Make a diligent and conscious effort to avoid all the influence that contradicts God. Don't you watch soap operas, read books about how to have a better marriage, why don't you read the Bible and what it tells wives to do? I'll give you the passages if you need help. Use God's feet from your, on your husband's computer. Look up the passages where God teaches you how to be a better wife. You go read books by James Dobson and others, and I'll guarantee you one thing. You will not learn how to submit. If James Dobson ever taught submission the way the Bible teaches it, no woman would buy his book. The reason James Dobson is popular is because he's popular. He's popular because he teaches a bunch of baloney. You say he hits it right once in a while. Well, so the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. Should we join them? The Mormons have great families. Watch what you read, what you listen to, who you associate with. Women, you should be provoking each other to love and to good works. You should be teaching each other to love your husband, to be obedient to your husband, that the word of God be not blasphemed. If you women will stick together in this matter, it can be done. And if women would learn their role and make their men great, you'll be great. 
And if the women and the men are great together, we're going to have some great marriages. And if we have some great marriages, I know we're going to have some great children. But if there's a breakdown with the woman, it's all going to break down. We're going to have daughters not being able to go submit to their husbands. Our daughters need to be trained from the time they're old enough to understand English that they should do the bidding of a man. They should be under the authority of their father until they're under the authority of a husband. You men that ever let your daughters go out and live on their own are creating a great sin against them. You cannot justify that. You show me a woman that's lived in this world on her own for a while, and I'll show you a woman that's going to have trouble submitting to a man. Daughters should be under the authority of their fathers until they're under the authority of their husbands. You let a woman go out and run her finances, run her clothing, run her car, run her apartment, her furnishings and everything on her own, what's going to happen when her husband tells her he wants her paycheck? He wants to tell her what to wear, how to wear her hair, what kind of a car she can drive, and where they're going to live and what job she can have and the hours she can keep. Our daughters need to be trained to submit to a man. If we're going to make this work, we're going to make next Sunday work also. We've got to stick together to do it. We live in a generation where you're not going to get much reinforcement of what the Bible says about submission. You women need to stick together and provoke each other to love and the good works. You need to talk about submission with one another. There ought not to be any jokes about the authority of a husband. That is not reverencing your husband. That is an abomination. That gives the enemies of the Lord occasion to blaspheme if you joke about the authority of your husband. Honor them, boast of them to each other, provoke each other to serve their, your husbands better, make your husbands all that they can be. They'll make you great. They'll take care of you and they'll reward you. They will. It is a law of nature and of scripture, and I'll help that law along next Sunday. But it is your duty to submit regardless. We have a great group of women. However, this subject of submission is one that is hard and is difficult and that you naturally rebel against. So no matter how great you are, it's got to be preached. Your husbands should remind you of it. Your women should speak of it and exhort and encourage each other and confess your fault one to another when you fail. And ask for prayer that you can do a better job submitting to your husbands and honoring them reverencing them, obeying them, calling them Lord, being in subjection in everything, recognizing your man as your head, his desires as your desires. But encourage one another to do so. We have a great group of women in this church. But human pride being what it is and all of the great women in this congregation being sinners, there is need for all of you to search your own heart before God. Acknowledge that God is right. Thank God for the man he's given you. Make him the center of your life. Tell him so. Confess any rebellion you've had and tell him that you want to serve him like you heard this evening and like the Bible teaches, like Sarah served Abraham. Seek the help of other women. Stay away from evil influences that will corrupt you submitting to your husband in a godly way. And may God bless us to have some marriages that will be pleasing to him.